The following is a message by Dr. Howell Jones from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. And so, Lord, we thank Thee that we are gathered among those who acknowledge Thy dear Son as Lord of all by Thine appointing. We thank Thee for the truth and grace and mercy which have come to us from Thee through Him and Him alone by way of His obedient life and atoning death. And we thank Thee that His Spirit has brought these blessings to us enlightening our minds and opening our mouths in thy praise and in bearing witness to thee on the earth. We pray that thou wilt pursue thy purpose of gathering in a multitude from every kindred, tribe, and tongue, and nation through the church of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, to him who is life itself and life forever. Receive our thanks for thy continued blessing and kindness. Remember our brothers and sisters in need at this time, particularly those persecuted as they bear their witness to Jesus, the one mediator between thee and men. And we pray that thou wilt preserve them and prosper their testimony to the good of others and to the glory of thy name. Pardon our many sins and receive our thanks for thy great kindness to us. For Jesus' sake, amen. Please be seated. Two verses this morning from Isaiah chapter 55. Verses 4 and 5. Isaiah chapter 55. Let us hear the word of God. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and because of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. The same theme continues with these verses, but at a deeper level than in those which precede. Here we have the church's message uh, to a needy world. It has been depicted in terms of an invitation to a great feast for the hungry and the thirsty. But now that metaphor of a feast and an invitation drops away and matters are taken to a deeper level. They are they, that is done by means of one word, the word behold. It's there twice, as you see, uh, and the ESV is correct in doing that and drawing attention to the fact that the prophet uses one word twice uh, for what he goes on to describe. The term is somewhat archaic, uh, but not perplexing. Alternatives to it spring readily to mind, don't they? Uh, 
see or look. Either would be perfectly suitable. Glance is not appropriate. Uh, much more is being called for here than a sidelong, momentary glance. Here, contemplation, consideration, appreciation is being summoned by this significant word. It's used frequently uh, in the Old Testament and has its New Testament equivalent too. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Clearly, it draws attention to something noteworthy. Surprising in the realm of human affairs would be adequate for its use, but in terms of divine affairs, not merely surprising, significant, even miraculous. It's sad then that in some translations the word behold has been dropped out, and perhaps it's the chief glory of the English Standard Version that it reintroduces it. But that may be a, a typical old guy's comment. <laughs> Here, however, are two sights or two realities to see and to appreciate. In connection with this whole matter of taking the gospel to the nations, the peoples, the nations, to the world. The first says, Behold, I have made him. Behold him. There is someone. In terms of God's appointment and arrangement of things redemptively, who in particular is to be considered and focused on? Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. But then there's another one, and that is, Behold, you. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and peoples that do not know you will run to you. Two uses of the term, each vital in connection with our whole mission to the world, and they're not unconnected. For all the uniqueness of the one, behold, I have made him witness, leader, commander. Yet there's a connection between behold you and him. It's there in the preposition because. Prepositions are important, as you know. Behold, you will call a nation that you do not know. And peoples that do not know you will run to you. Why? What explains that incredible phenomenon? When you think of Old Testament distinctiveness, even exclusivism, how on earth can a nation and a people alien, diverse, often in opposition to God's ancient people and their religion and their culture, how will they leave their idols and their cultures and run and join the people of God? What will explain 
that incredible event because, i.e., not because of you, but because of someone else, because of the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, and in particular, because he has glorified you. Now then, initially here we have King David and his loyal people. The sure mercies of David is the expression that immediately precedes the first use of this term, behold. Behold, I have made him a witness and a leader and commander to the peoples. And there, what is being referred to, of course, is that uh, initial, well, significant arrangement of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the Lord in the time of David and his loyal people. There he, by virtue of being a man after God's own heart, sought to uphold his name, his truth, his worship, arranged the tabernacle uh, planned for the future of worship in the temple, and he, as king of Israel, with his people around him, in the midst of the surrounding nations, were on exhibit. They were displaying uh, to the surrounding people something of the greatness and glory of the one true and living God. There was glory about that. But it's nowhere near as great as the glory that belongs to Jesus and his church. 2 Corinthians 3, remember. There was a glory attached to the old covenant, the old economy. But it's far surpassed by the glory of the new. There's, one, there's something that excels. There's something that's permanent. There's something that's inwardly transforming. There's something that's extensive. And there's something that remains. And here then in these two verses is not just a statement with regard to David and his people or what followed in terms of kings of the Davidic line perhaps to an even, well, no, perhaps to an even lesser degree very often than was true in David's day. And on throughout down to the, the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, to some degree or other, something, some glory, something about God's self-revelation was being displayed by Israel. But it wasn't much. It didn't come to much until the glory came to Israel itself in terms of the incarnate Son of God, great David's greater son, greater than David, greater than Solomon in the earlier part of his reign. Here it was to which all that pointed, the incarnation of the eternal Son, his accomplishment of redemption, through the offering up of himself on the cross, the setting up of the kingdom of heaven to which all the old pointed. And God says, behold, I have made him. He's a witness. He's the last word. He's the truth. He is the one who doesn't surmise, doesn't speculate. The value of a witness is that he is able to say, 
I heard it, I saw it, I know it. And here was one who was with the Father for the foundation of the world, who heard, who saw what the Father wanted said and done on the face of the earth. His is the last word. He is the witness, the true and the faithful witness. Heaven and earth will pass away. His word will not pass away. He is the last prophet. Behold, I have made him a witness. He tells it as it is. And he is the leader and the commander. Military figures. He's the one who delivers and saves and enlists a following of willing servants in his wake. He goes before them. He's the pioneer, as the epistle to the Hebrews says. He's the one who leads them out of this wilderness of a world into a heavenly Canaan. He's the witness. He's the leader. He's the commander. He directs affairs. He's the head of the church. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is no other. Neither Mohammed nor the Pope nor Mary. There is no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. One God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Behold, I have made him. He is the theme of our message to the world. God's Messiah, prophet, priest, and king. And when that happens, from within the church and by the church, glory is seen through the church. God manifests his glory in and through his people who call and people run and there's a response they call those who are not only hungry and thirsty they're hungry and thirsty because they don't know their need they're sinful and they're guilty and they're wicked and their thoughts are all wrong who would call such people but God is able to make that call effective and they come they come through the church. Jesus Christ is the focus of the church's message to the world. There are many other things that are wonderful about Christianity, but none of them can compare with him. And see to it then, that in all that you say to the world, he has this position of eminence, primacy, incomparability no one better no other redeemer and when that happens he becomes the magnet for the church's growth I if I be lifted up from the earth will draw all men unto me and he does and they come but Perhaps you're wondering whether too much is being claimed because we're living in difficult days, aren't we? Certainly in Europe, darkness is coming down fast, religiously, morally. And who can say that the states will be immune? Pluralism is rampant. 
Other gods so-called are recognized as being valuable. Other religions choose your own or make up your own. The old religions are reviving. Newfangled ones are emerging. I heard yesterday, I think, that one in five of some Pew survey, one in five people in the States have no religion of any kind at all or believe in no God of any kind at all. Is too much being claimed. Now, this is what I want to say to you this morning. In the light of these verses, adopt the big picture. Normally, we go from the old to the new, and we always should do that, of course. But I want you to turn back to the 8th century when Isaiah first spoke these words. What was he looking at? He was looking at 70 years in Babylon. He was looking at darkness covering the earth and gross darkness, the people. And he could say, Behold, a virgin shall conceive. Behold my servant whom I uphold. Behold, I have made him a leader, a witness, a commander. Behold you in him. You will call and that call will not be fruitless. Yes, at times there'll be a remarkably rapid widespread, positive, immediate response as people run, run to you because God is with you or run to lay hold of the refuge set before them in the gospel. There'll be other times, times of peril. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Here's the point. It all began with how many in Acts 1 and where? 120 in the upper room. And here we are in 2012. Kingdoms have come and gone. Ideologies have gained the ascendancy and then crumbled. A foremost scientist, um, agnostic, Sir Bernard Spilsbury, British, early 20th century, ridiculed the whole idea of DNA. That's the kind of thing that happens, you see. But here the kingdom continues. It may ebb, it may flow. It may appear to totter. It may seem as if it's on collapse. The Dark Ages, post-Tenebras looks. After dark, this is, this is what these verses are talking about. It will happen. It won't be undermined. Jesus shall reign forever and ever. And all for whom he lived and died will come. Not one be lost. Not one left behind. They'll all come, and it will be an innumerable company from every kindred, tribe, and tongue, 
and nation. Continue to serve him. Make him known far and wide. This isn't a fool's errand as the world thinks. Jesus shall reign. Blessings will abound where'er he reigns. His name forever shall endure. Last like the sun it shall. Men shall be blessed in him. And blessed all nations shall him call. Amen. Let us pray. We thank thee, O Lord, that thou hast installed and enthroned thy Son on thy holy hill. And he cannot be dethroned. And we look for the completion of all that he lived and died for. The gathering together of his flock. The bringing into being of, an, of new heavens and a new earth. In which righteousness will dwell and in which the one true and living God will be the glory of his people forever and ever. Amen. Copyright 2012, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.